Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Lapidus prom party. There was really only one way to open this episode, wasn't there? I mean, we're finally talking about an episode that has been requested major. Yeah. And it's a 25-year anniversary. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of that this year. (laughs) Yes, we are entering the 25-year anniversary of 1999, the ultimate year for teen movies. Getting them to be exact anniversaries is a little bit impossible because a lot of them were in competition with one another. But just know that we are going to be covering a lot of 1999 this year. And you know what? Screw it. We're starting off with a DCOM. We're starting off with the DCOM. I mean, it's the 21st century. It feels appropriate to be doing it at the start of the year. That's probably why they scheduled it to come out in January of that year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Xenon Girl of the 21st Century is considered by many to be one of the best Disney Channel original movies ever made. There are also plenty of haters. They're allowed to be wrong. I looked at a lot of rankings before we recorded this episode, and occasionally I would just be reading something going, what the fuck is this? And BJ would go, oh! Like when you were like, what is Quince? And I was like, oh, well, Kimberly J. Brown, and I just immediately started info dumping on top of you. Yes, exactly. So that was just, that was a thing. And uh, there was one ranking that I did where it was like Smart House is like the 33rd best. And I was like, there's no way that's right. Yeah, no, that's not right. That's at just all. incorrect. <laughs> and what's funny is that the other night I was laying in bed watching TikToks, as I am known to do, and somebody was doing a roundup of movies that they watched in 2023 through like a movie roulette sort of thing. And they were ranking their worst. And they ranked Xenon the second worst movie that they watched. And the comments were just people like, what is wrong with you? You're out of your mind. And their argument was, one, rewatch it, I dare you. And it was so funny because it was like the day after I had just rewatched it. And their second one was, I think it's just nostalgia that makes people think this movie is good. And I was like, "Mm, no, there's more to it than this because we definitely rewatched it. And is there a little bit of shoddy CGI? Of course. Are some of the situations ridiculous? Absolutely. It's a children's movie. You need to meet this movie on its level. It's a made-for-TV children's movie. exactly it. This is a movie you have to meet on its level. If you try to treat this like a studio feature where there is a team of, you know, producer execs that have millions upon millions of dollars, you know, hanging over their head on whether or not this movie is going to be a success, yeah, there's going to be a different approach to it. Mm -hmm. This is a DCOM. Like, it... No, meet it where it is. It's a TV movie. No, it's bad because it's not Martin Scorsese. And even Martin Scorsese isn't that good because his movie didn't make very much money, which means we should just not fund art. For the record, 
Harmony's being sarcastic. There were so many people who were fucking saying that shit <laughs> who were just like looking at this like number crunchers going like, it was a really bad investment to make Killers of the Flower Moon. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's great. Shut You're up. fucking narcs. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are talking about Xenon today. And Harmony, what is your knowledge of Xenon? What's your relationship with Xenon? Because I think you mentioned that this is one of those rogue decoms that you're you were actually aware of i'm aware of like the first like dozen okay like decom started in 97 with under wraps didn't watch that uh they did a few the following year i think i remember halloween town watching mm -hmm. that as a kid which i'm pretty sure we talked about when we did that episode and then 1999 is where pretty much all of my knowledge of decoms comes from prior to doing this show Okay. <laughs> so that's where you have Xenon and the 13th year and Smart House and Don't Look Under the Bed and Johnny Tsunami, which I remember not being that great. But according to all of the rankings, Johnny Tsunami is amazing. <laughs> I like Johnny Tsunami. But um, yeah, that's where I saw the decoms that I have seen. Okay. So I have seen Xenon before. It's been a while. Okay. But I believe that when we used to work at the bar that no longer exists, RIP SideQuest, um, it was one of the early things we put on when Disney Plus became a thing. Mm -hmm. And I can say that on the internet because what do you get what's Disney gonna do? Sue that bar that doesn't exist anymore? Right. <laughs> uh that, you know, that does make a lot of sense. And I do remember people getting really hype and being like, oh my God, put Xenon on well, the bar. This was like the first year also they did. They did that with a lot of movies once we got Disney Plus. Um but this is like the first year where they started to really, really make like decoms their thing like this mm -hmm. is when they went all in and released like 10 oh yeah they, they were, were putting events. them out yeah like and that's exactly what it was is like they were broadcasting commercials for this on other channels to make it seem like an event mm -hmm. so that's how i got sucked in even though i didn't really watch the disney channel growing up mm -hmm. i'm assuming that you have much stronger history with this than me Oh, Xenon lives in my bones. Yeah. Um, this is a movie that I watched as much as I possibly could as a kid. This is one of the first movies that I watched when I got Disney Plus. And even during this rewatch, there were so many line deliveries that they just come out of me. Oh, they did. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's gotta be horrible watching movies with me sometimes, especially when it's one of my like comfort kid movies. Oh, the way that you are all about like Lutz. I love him. He's such a queen. I can't wait to talk oh, about him. Oh, he was. <laughs> because that's another thing is there are a lot of aspects of this movie that are so painfully obvious. But when you're a child, I don't know if you can necessarily like put those connections together. Whereas as an adult, I'm just like, oh, so Mr. Lutz is just the time honored tradition of having like the squirrely gay assistant to the evil billionaire man. He's a like, Renfield. He's a Renfield. He's a Smithers. Like, okay, mm -hmm. got it. Like. And they just put that in a children's movie. And I love that. I love when we sneak in that that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but also there's like some interesting sci-fi stuff going on. Yeah, the CGI doesn't look great. It was it, 1999 for television. It looked okay. Like there's that first shot where like they pan out and you see the space station. And I'm like, no, that looks okay. And then every other time if they're not reusing that shot, it's like, okay, it doesn't look great. Well, yeah, like Earth <laughs> always looks like very flat. Uh, when Xenon's out in- Doing her spacewalk. Oh, goodness. It's not It's not the best. Yeah, no. And I was like, man, I wish we just owned like 
a decent CRT and we could watch things like this on then because I'm sure it looks fine through like the grain. Because that was the thing is like as a kid, obviously your perspective is different as a kid. We didn't know how good CG could be in 1999. Yeah, I remember not thinking like, oh, this looks terrible. I do remember when the space shuttle lands on Earth being like, well, that looks fake as shit. Oh, yeah. No, that's... Like, that's rough. That's because but, it's interacting with reality exactly. as opposed to the space station in space. Exactly. So, like, the stuff that was just in space, I remember not being that bad. So, I do think the fact that our televisions are like, hey, you want to see what people's pores look like? Yes. Uh, definitely it's affects not great. how CGI Let's looks. watch Xenon in 4K. Oh, God, let's not. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Um, so, if somehow you've missed Xenon, here is your plot synopsis. An inquisitive teenager finds herself involved with suspected dodgy dealings on her space station home and ends up being sent down to Earth. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty vague way of describing what this is. Yeah. I mean, calling her inquisitive, I think, is a compliment. Yeah, um, I think she's a bit of a troublemaker and also it kind of neglects to mention that there's like some tax fraud fraud related terrorism. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. The but yeah. stakes of this movie are so unbelievably high for a kids movie and we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. But you know, like we said, this is a 1999 movie and while 1999 is the year of teen movies, DCOMs have always existed in kind of their own universe. Like this movie is not competing with 10 things I hate about you. Nope. It's skewing for a much younger audience, but it is also got to compete with Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and a lot of really big things going on at the time because it's television. But this is when the Disney Channel really starts to kick ass. In, oh, this <laughs> in, is when it comes into its own. Oh, God, yeah. So I'm not going to go ahead and rehash a lot of the things that we talk about when we bring up this year because we have done, by my count, I believe 41 films from the 90s and 10 of them are from this year alone. Yep. <laughs> and there's still so many more. Yep, it's going to get ready because this is the year. But uh, Xenon is based on a book from 1996 by Marilyn Sadler. Uh, did you ever read the book? I did not read the book. Cool, me either. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I think it was one of those, like, I want this to be pure for me. I think there's also another author, Roger Bolin. I want to say this was like a dual thing. I think Roger Bolin illustrated it. Oh, that makes more sense. But okay. um, I, I believe that's what I read earlier. But um. Yeah, no, this is an adaptation of work. This is not really a movie where Xenon is is learning lessons. This is a movie that is about adventure and stakes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, th this is the future. Mm -hmm. And we were so optimistic towards Y2K. Mm -hmm. And this movie is also what we kind of thought that the Y2K was going to be if people didn't work diligently to make this not happen, where satellites were going to fall from the sky. Yeah, this is 2049. So for what it is now, it is the near future for us. This space station would be in space now. Yeah, it would be going up around now. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of wild to think about because, yeah, we're 25 years removed from the movie. Um I do know that this movie was also conceived as a pilot originally. They really wanted to make a Xenon series, but I think they realized how expensive the upkeep would have oh, been on that. Yeah. Unless <laughs> so. you start like cutting a lot of corners where it's like, they don't go outside a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would have been a problem. Yeah. So they ended up, you know, making the decom, but the decom does turn into a trilogy because we do have Xenon the sequel it's and the first Z3. Disney Channel original movie to get a sequel. Mm -hmm. So how about that? Yeah. So we do get a trilogy of these. So not quite a series, but, you know, a continuation. And 
I'm not here to talk shit about the sequel or Z3, but I am glad that this did not become a show. Okay. Because the storylines get a get get a little strange. It feels a little forced. They get a little screwy. <laughs> they get a little screwy. All right, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's the basic context I have without getting too redundant based on many past episodes. Perfect. Well, before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy New Year prom party. Over on the Patreon this month, we got uh, we got some fun stuff and some changes for you. For our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes, we're talking about John Cusack's Better Off Dead because there's a skiing plot for some reason in this movie. We're also talking about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I remember that movie being funny, but I was also in high school the last time I saw it. We'll see how that works. Instead of the musical milestones this month, we're actually changing things up a little bit. We had so much fun discussing You Were My First Boyfriend that uh, we're actually going to to take a little detour for the $1 tier over there, and we're going to talk about some documentaries for a bit. This month's is called The Bad Kids, and BJ assures me that it is quite stellar, so I look forward to that. And as we're finished with My So-Called Life, we're starting a new TV homecoming, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you all are appalled and excited that we are going to spend the next few months going through the first season of Daria because I have never seen it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I'm very excited about this experience. In addition to all of these fun things, subscribing to the Patreon also gets you access to the back catalog, our monthly playlist, and the suggestion box. It might be a new year, but it's the same old story as always. If you're unable to support the podcast for any reason, we just appreciate you listening and sharing us with a friend and rating us if you haven't uh, and leaving any comments you want on on Spotify because you can do that. Thank you so much. And now back to the movie. All righty. We got to talk about our girl. How do you feel about Xenon Carr? She gets into problems. I love how many problems she gets herself into. Uh-huh. But you tell me, I, I don't want to influence your feelings. You tell me. She gets all of her friends in problems, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, a, she's a leader, Dad. What, what was it? She's inquisitive? That was the polite way of referring to the fact that she goes places she shouldn't be? Yes. Like, I'm glad that, like, the recycling bin is not, like, a trash compactor and was going to crush her to death or something. Right. Because it's like, I've seen Star Wars. I'm, I'm pre- emotionally prepared for that. Um, no, this is, this is not a movie that has a great deal of, I would say, evolution for this character. Mm -hmm. She's largely the same at the start as she is at the end, Mm -hmm. because it's not about growing up per se. Mm -hmm. It's about taking down billionaires. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're totally right, though. And that's something that I really appreciate about this movie is that this isn't about Xenon, like, learning some lesson and about how she needs to be different or she needs to this be more responsible. This isn't the 13th year. Yeah, it's not the 13th year. This movie is about how she's right. And but that no one takes her but seriously. But no one's taking her seriously because she's a, a child. To be and fair, she lies a lot. That's She, she, she doesn't lie. She bends the truth she bends a the lot. Truth. Yes. But this is an instance where I think it's a very tough lesson for kids to learn where sometimes you are right, but people will not listen to you because you're a child. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't know. I, I like that she is a 13-year-old girl who acts like a 13-year-old girl. 
Yeah, I mean, like, she's kind of bratty sometimes. Oh, yes, she is. Which but I quite like. She's obsessed with the boy band that she's obsessed with. She doesn't like to pay attention in school. She's fucking around on her phone or her phone equivalent during class. Yeah, it's uh, just like opening a, down. Di- a different browser in in the computer lab. Like, that's that's what she's doing, screwing around. She's relatable. She's just like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but she also knows what she wants, and we see that, you know, from the very beginning, whether it's like, I want this thing, so I'm going to go dumpster diving and get the materials I want or even when she's on earth and like Greg's kind of pussyfooting around and she's like Zetus Lapidus Greg if you want to kiss me just do it and it's like hell yeah girl get what you want yeah (laughs) I do appreciate that she just doesn't she she doesn't pussyfoot around with that yeah I love that um something that I like about her and also um Nebula who is played by Raven Simone I like that on the space station there is creative ways that they find to express themselves mm-hmm. um, because everything is very sterile. It's a, you know, it's an isolated community. There's only so much material and stuff that you can get involved in. You can't go to the mall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they like go raid the garbage bins in order to like find things to make art projects and accessories. Yeah. And they're making their accessories out of like, like they're, they're upcycling. Like they're doing something that people now have entire like YouTube and TikTok accounts to of like, Hey guys, I'm going to show you how to take these wires and turn them into earrings. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Xenon was doing. Like yeah. that's so cool to me. Especially because like the costumes I'm assuming are done because of a limited budget. But mm-hmm. most of the time when you see a lot of like, children's based y2k fashion around this era you see a lot of plastic and a lot of metallic materials Mm -hmm. and they don't have very much it is like a thick cotton Mm -hmm. maybe a polyester Mm -hmm. but it's like oh no the metallic stuff is the things they added that's yes that the accents are cute and also cost efficient (laughs) so and speaking of kind of the sci-fi thing something that a lot of people don't realize is that kenneth johnson who directed this film is a sci-fi legend so if the name is not familiar to you, uh, it's probably familiar to your parents. Um, but Kenneth Johnson is the creator of the science fiction franchise V, which is one of the most important sci-fi like franchises to ever exist. Um, it was really big in the 80s. Um, it has continued on into like the 2010s. Like it's huge. Um, also was a part of the Bionic Woman. Oh, was also part of the Incredible Hulk TV series. Was also in in part of the TV adaptation of Alien Nation. Uh, was part of like Adam Twelve, uh, Shadow Chaser, Short Circuit Two. Oh hell yeah! Uh, Steel, uh, like just With the the Shaquille O'Neal one. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh no. <laughs> So like, and also did direct Don't Look Under the Bed, which is, oh, wow. you know, another one of those like really, really high tier uh, decoms. I love that movie. So that's also why I think the sci-fi stuff in the space station looks so cool, but also looks like very scrappy mm-hmm. because it isn't trying to do like the the current Star Trek thing where like everything is screens, yeah. everything is digital. This is a very like 80s approach to sci-fi. This is a very Doctor Who approach to sci-fi. God, I love retro future. Yeah, where it's like we're gonna take, you know, like old cardboard lunch trays and flip them upside down and spray paint them and that's gonna become the wall yeah. of of a space station. Like that sort of like ingenuity and creativity is really cool because the space station feels really tangible. Mm-hmm. Like it's very clear that they are on set. Especially oh, yeah. like where, when they're on the shuttle, I'm like, that shuttle is too wide for them when they're inside. No, no, no. That is a set. 
But I like that because everything looks real. It doesn't look digitized. It These are characters not interacting with computer screens like or digital things being input. Everything on that space station is real. So when things start to fall apart and they're like bumping into things, it also does feel like, oh, this could fall apart at any moment. Like, why does this look more tangible and real than J.J. Abrams' Star Trek? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm not going <laughs> to say it's actually a faithful adaptation of what the future would look like. But in the 90s, it certainly is because we were all about color in the 90s. And mm-hmm. little did they know 25 years later that the future of tech would strip away all color and everything would be minimalism. And oh, God. Elon Musk wants to make it even more terrible looking. Ugly. Um, but I don't know. I, there's something about like this form of retro future that I just think is so aesthetically nice. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the things people praise for the alien franchise where it's like, no, this is the future, but also it looks like crap and everything has big chunky buttons Mm -hmm. and big dumb levers. And it just like, that's the kind of future that I'm like, no, that feels cool and innovative in a way where not everything is just an iPad screen. Yeah. And so they do. It's kinetic. You're physically interacting with something rather than going boop, boop, boop. On an iPad. And something that I do like about the tech in this movie is that it does feel tangible. A lot of times, like, you'll watch movies from the 80s where it's like, this is the year 2000. And, like, we have flying cars and stuff. That's, like, not really a thing. Sure. But this is a very realistic look at what the future, I think, would look like. It has self-driving cars, and apparently everyone in the future drives a Volkswagen. Yeah, so there's self-driving cars or at least, like, what sound like hybrid cars, because they sound very similar to hybrids. Um, I love that there's a scene where everybody's, like, on their scooters, but they're essentially bird scooters, like Mm -hmm. what we have as bird scooters. But the fashion is still, like, pretty normal, all things considered, because you have to think... Yeah, Margie's got normal fashion. Margie in her fucking fuzzy dusters. God, her fashion drives me nuts. But like these are clothing pieces that make sense because a lot of times when people are like, oh, it's the future, everyone's clothing looks absolutely ridiculous and so far removed from anything we were wearing, you know, 20, 25 years prior. I mean, I love I love it when that's the joke, like, uh, you know, how the future is really dumb and demolition man with like three seashells. Right. Like, like, I love it when we lean into the fact that the future is not supposed to be this fucking stupid. Yeah. Like leaning into it is one thing, but this feels like this feels realistic. This feels like a natural trajectory for the future where things for the most part look very similar to what they did before. But there's like a little bit of tweaks here and there. Another movie that I think does this really well, surprisingly, is Jason X, where the, the height of future fashion is just wearing a racerback tank top backwards. Yeah. Like it makes sense. The to thing me. is, <laughs> I think I see people do that now. Yeah, they do. People just like cut the back, cut the bottom half of it. So they're like titties are out and then they just wear it backwards and then wear like a satin slip as a bottom and go, yep, this is fashion. Yeah. Granted, it could just be that we're in LA and some people are just like maniacs like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, Jason X. Hell yeah, Jason X. The best Friday the 13th movie. Right. Fight me. <laughs> but you have to think about it. Like, so 2049 is 50 years removed from 1999. And so there are a lot of people wearing clothes in 2049 that feel inspired by 1999, but like a little bit heightened. And then you think about now in 2024, like there are definitely people wearing clothes that look very inspired by like the 70s mm-hmm. but just like changed a little bit so this all tracks and i like that well, i mean they also have their communicators which are essentially it's just facetime yeah it's not some like super high tech like oh you can make yourself be a hologram and you it'll tap your walk watch next to you. and then your watch brings up a hologram of the person yeah like it's not doing any of that it feels very much 
grounded in reality. The one thing that they do have wrong, which there's no way they could have predicted, is like computer labs still being a thing and that not everything would just be in your phone or like in your pocket. Oh, of course. We didn't know tech could be that small yet. No. But what we did do is so the disc, like the big disc that Lutz has put the the virus on is this really, really tiny mini disc. It's like a watch battery. <laughs> yeah, because like in the 90s, that's what we were doing with tech is like you would have a cell phone and cell phones were huge and bulky in the 80s and we were trying to get them smaller and smaller, which is why there's like that SNL joke where, you know, Will Ferrell's like high fashion person has that teeny tiny cell phone that's like the size of his fingers. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're doing with discs. It's like, OK, well, in the 90s, we have CDs. So we're going to make this virus disc like the smallest thing possible to the point that it could be accessorized as an earring if need be, because that's the future of tech is making things smaller. Well, that's also kind of like when you look at tech from the 80s when they're like thinking of the future it's like oh yeah in like 2048 we're still using floppy disks right like there is a still <laughs> there's a level of tangibility that you need to exist otherwise you establish too much lore for people to be like what mm -hmm. it ends up being like uh existence with the fucking fleshy video game bot mm -hmm. where it's like that's just okay that's that that's very 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 vaguely tangible outside of like just the concept of Cronenberg mm -hmm. um but I also think that you need to have this be fashionable and understandable for children yes so like the clothing yeah it has to be based on like what's cool in the 90s versus like what will be cool like for children to wear in the future but it needs to look good now they, the they want they want Xenon to be fashionable. And the thing is, like, there are some outfits that she wears on the space station that I even was like, oh, I used to do that. Like, the, the thing that she and Nebula wear mostly is that they'll wear, like, one color of, like, an undershirt and leggings or tights. And then they wear a skirt and a vest over it that are the same color. And they're, like, kind of color blocking. Mm. I used to wear in, like, eighth grade, nonstop, pink and black striped tights, a black skirt pink and black striped shirt and then like a black shirt over it or like a black vest over it. Real busy. It was very busy, <laughs> but that was the 2000s. But it's like, that's exactly what this was is it was like, I was color blocking with the same pattern. Like I did that constantly. And that is very much a thing. I also love that when Xenon is having her like casual hair in the future, it's just the messy millennial bun that we all did in the 2000s and 2010s uh -huh. that I'm going to be real. I still do now. Oh um, yeah, you do. I, I don't I mean, care. It looks I good. like at one point that she wears space buns. Yeah, she's like, got space buns. They kind of have those high double pigtail looks, both her and Raven. Mm -hmm. But then at one point it's like, oh, yeah, space buns. Yeah, and like I love that Nebula has her pigtails and she has like coils around. Well, yeah, she's recycling. Yeah, like I love the little touches like that with all of their fashion. I love that all of the boys are wearing like the really tight, almost like metallic Under Armour shirts and then there's a little bit more like bagginess to their bottoms which is like very much a 90s thing that's a look that's coming back right now don't love it <laughs> but it's so like there's interesting stuff like that but also there something that I think people forget is that the space station is also kind of a military base like it's a government research base but there are captains and lieutenants so all of the adults that work on this base are military or government officials in some way. So there's something a little bit military about all of their outfits, which I really like. Like I love Commander Plank's outfit, uh, that it's purple, but it is so clearly like you look at him and you're like, that is a captain. That is somebody who is in charge. I know what this looks well, like. Just Cause his outfit looks different than literally everyone else's. Right. But it has this like purple fashion sense to it that it feels like this is what you would get 
if like Sue Ann Crandall from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead was tasked with redesigning military uniforms. Well, I also, like it turns into Xenon. Well, I mean, purple's just an interesting color that you don't see a lot of examples of because it's a kind of a purple and orange are like two really obnoxious colors if you mm-hmm. don't use them right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we don't. But like this is one of those like fifth element things where um, oh yeah you think of uh, Chris Tucker's character in that one where he is like the definitive like alpha male sex fiend that all the women swoon over because he's he's kind of doing an obnoxious prince thing I guess is probably the closest comparison mm-hmm. but it's just the way that like in the future we've decided to process things where it's like oh no in the future we're going back to basics where purple is a royal color and it's very formal and authoritative mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, and so the costume designer on Xenon is Rosanna Norton, another name you might not know, but you definitely know her work. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you some of her greatest hits. Some of them we've covered on the show, some of them are movies that you and I just love. Carrie. Oh well, I <laughs> So like there's that. Uh Tron. Okay. Inner Space. Okay. The Burbs. Robocop 2. Oh. Gremlins 2. All right. Casper. Okay. Both uh, a Brady Bunch movie and a very Brady sequel, which Sick. that to me is the most like, oh, I see these connections here. But the one that makes me go, oh, hell yeah, you're an icon, the Flintstones. Uh, one of the like most incredibly costumed movies you could think of. So th- like, it's clear that Rosanna Norton is somebody who if you're like, I need costumes to represent like this moment in time or you have to capture this energy but take creative licensing she can fucking do it we need some color room we want someone to look like a real life cartoon yes oh and she did great because i i love the costume design of this even like the future costumes of the people that are not in the space day like i love that aunt judy has like those big like disco ball earrings for no reason Oh, she's a fun aunt. Because um, she's a fun aunt. But it's and like that's how we know that about her is like her fashion speaks to it. I love that dusters are such a thing, even though like I think they're hideous. Um, so I like stuff like I like stuff like that. Like there's a lot of care that's put into the production design of this movie that I think is what has helped make it. I don't want to say timeless, but why it still holds up 25 years later for me is because I can see what they were doing in the 90s and the fact that they weren't trying to super capture the time capsule of 90s, but still like honor the 90s really worked, especially with teen speak. Oh, yeah. So I know you want to talk about the Diablo Cody-esque teen speak of this movie. Yes. So something that I have talked about online, if you follow me on TikTok, you've probably heard me talk about this as like an isolated thing. But teen movies, as we know, are time capsule movies. And people are always trying to capture what is cool right then and there to appease to teenagers. And a lot of that tends to be slang as well. The things that we hear in Valley Girl are going to be a little bit similar to what we hear in Clueless, but it's going to evolve. And now we're in like the 2020s. We don't really hear that sort of language anymore. We have like likes and word fillers that still remains. But in terms of people saying things like, oh, gag me with a spoon, like that's not really a thing anymore. No, we have, you know, the flavor of the week, which is meant to be disposable. Yes. Say say it now. And then someone else will start saying you go, ew, no. And then you throw it away and move on to the next thing. Yes. So the thing that's been happening in the last, I would say, 15 years or so is that teen speak, the rules used to be that a word was cool until a parent started using it. Once your mom and dad would start saying something like it was dead, we're not using that anymore. Well, the difference now is that we're all on the same internet. We're all on the same social media. 
It used to be splintered off by ages. That's not really a thing anymore. And sure, yeah, TikTok is more heavily used by young people, but there are plenty of people on there making like parenting content who are parents of teenagers. So you'll see videos all the time of like, a mom and their kid going shopping and the mom or dad or whoever joking around and being like, ooh, look at this. This is where the fire is at. Oh my God, check out this cereal. This cereal is bussin'. And the kid being like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. Stop saying this. You sound ridiculous. Yeah. So words are getting recycled out way faster than they ever were. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing screenplays now for teenagers, People have this instinct to take the 80s and 90s approach of like, oh, I need to jam pack this with the words that kids are saying. But by the time this movie goes into production, those words might be completely like passe. Cetus Apetus. Time minor, task major. Morning glorious, Commander Plank. Flared up. <laughs> You're gonna Nova. No, no, wait. Supernova. Guaranteed. And their Lunarius heart fluttering flesh. When my all time crush major is coming to our humble hall. They're about as thermal as some bad. I mean, those guys are so antimatter, you can actually understand their lyric. What is she? New in the galaxy? Just... Sorry to barge you guys. Stereo mode major. Base day. Slow down, Z. It almost feels like there's less of a reason to. Like, like the whole point of language and slang is in order to communicate things with people. But I feel like now it's getting to the point where it's like, no, we aren't. We don't have any interest in communicating things to people. We just want to be saying the hottest new thing until we're bored with it, mm-hmm. um, which is like seems like a bad use of language, honestly. But the only way that it's I, I you could speak more on this than me, but the only way that you can have young people have their own way of speaking is by making it extremely unappealing for older people to be using it which condenses down to like very, very small fragments. Yeah. And something to keep in mind too, is that right now, like people will say things like, Oh, Gen Z slang. And let, let us be abundantly clear. Gen Z slang nine times out of 10 is just reappropriated AAVE. Oh yeah. Um, So let's just get that out of the way. But the way that you prevent this, like, Oh no, this movie suddenly is immediately dated the way that something like, you know, he's all that or whatever was dated pretty much a week after it came out is that you need to take the Diablo Cody approach that she took with scripts like Juno and Jennifer's Body, where the things that they're saying are unapologetically teenage sounding in the sense of like, the the example that I used in my TikTok video is that like we commonly as adults or just in culture say things like, oh, you're jelly. And like people know that means, oh, you're jealous. But calling somebody lime green jello, not as common. Like you're not gonna get an adult saying something like, you know what, Greg, I think you're just lime green jello. Like that's not going to mm-hmm. happen. But you will get a teenager that could say something like that. And so the language in Diablo Cody scripts sounds teenage, unquestionably teenage, but it's not actually locked in time with whatever is happening there. Like, yes, it is missing out on things like bussin or whatever, but you still know that it's a. this is a t- how teenagers talk. Xenon does the same thing. And what's interesting is seeing how occasionally you'll hear an adult say something that mm-hmm. is part of that slang. Like Plank, especially when he's like, silence, major. 
And so, it's, you know. It sounds like he's yelling at a high-ranking military officer, though. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. Yeah. So it, like, completely transforms. But that's, like, the big thing is, you know, instead of saying, like, very or a little bit, everything is, like, something major or mm -hmm. something minor. Yeah. And, like, that is a way of speaking. Um, and then down on Earth, they even have their own ways where things are, like, that's alpha or, like, that's alpha extreme. And what's interesting is that's kind of <laughs> incorporated into the language now where we people like, oh, I'm an alpha, uh, you're a beta cook. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, so that's kind of actually a real thing. That's don't, kind don't, of happened. Don't we love Latin? <laughs> don't we just love Latin? So well read. <laughs> but I think that's also why people still have fun saying things like Zetus Lapidus or whatever, because it's made up. Like, it is so associated with this movie and with this, this culture of this movie because it's it's like fetch, right? Like it doesn't actually extend beyond this movie. Mm -hmm. And that makes it unique. Whereas any other movie, they would probably be having these kids like say what was cool now because they're like, well, that's what the kids today are saying. And then it sounds fucking dumb and yeah. it ages it horribly. Well, it's like 50 years in the future. They shouldn't be saying the same thing. Exactly. They you know shouldn't why? be. Because nostalgia works in 25 year cycles. They'd be nostalgic for when we are right now. Yeah. So theoretically, these kids should be saying buzzing now. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm glad they don't. But, but, but speaking of language, my favorite one in this movie is that on multiple occasions, Xenon's talking about like busting an O-ring. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Wow. Like, I get it in terms of tech and, like, mechanical parts. She's talking about, like, gaskets. But God damn it. That did not mean. That that does not mean what now what it did then. Um, The thing is, I feel like people were referring to the O-ring as a butthole, like, in the 80s. Maybe. So maybe maybe this is like... one of those double team kind of situations <laughs> where no one told the Disney people that, like, hey, you can't say that. Or somebody did tell the Disney people, and they're like, no one will know that. And it's like, I promise you they will. Dude, she's eating onion rings and talking about, like, O-rings. I'm like, god <laughs> Gives damn. Gives a whole new reason to O-ring. Like, it's oh, like, oh, no. I don't know if you know the Xenon, but people also eat O-rings here in the future. <laughs> they do, especially the kids. They love jo joking about eating ass. They love eating the O-ring like groceries, yep. so to speak. <laughs> god, it's just, that, that was one of my fucking favorite things where I'm like, wow, that's funny. And then it came back later, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, there were like a couple little things in here that I was like, I absolutely like missed this as a kid and like never thought about it until now that now all I can think about is this. So like um, when they're talking about Earth at the very beginning and they're talking about why they would never want to live on Earth. Uh, one they of talk the, about it like how Trump talked about Chicago. <laughs> so, yes, they talk about Earth the way that Republicans talk about major cities, um, which is really funny to it's me. It's a crime-ridden hellhole. <laughs> Obama did a terrible job. I'm like, okay, goddammit. <laughs> um, but they talk about like not wanting to go down there. And one of the reasons being is like they cram people together with runny noses like microchips. And it's like, oh, we unfortunately still do that. We still do that. Even right now where we are having a We're massive having a COVID, COVID surge. And no this, one's wearing masks. No one's wearing not masks. Not a single goddamn person. And even when like I'm masked and clearly trying to avoid people, some fucking old biddy will get all up in my business and be like, excuse me, honey. And I'm like, why are you touching me? Like, or, why are you touching me? Children will cough with their tongues out. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I, 
in, in a sold out screening of something, there will be, you know, 270 people in there. And I would get wage that 20 or less are wearing masks and everyone's just like, we refuse to go back. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's just a thing that we're all going to deal with now. Better get used to it. I'm like, no. And it's like, cool. Nice for you. I will die. Eat shit. Man, y'all don't care about saving the future. No, no, they don't. Everyone, it's American individualism it's, it's at its fine. finest. We're going to have a space station where we don't have to worry about diseases. Elon's going to save us, right? Oh, Yay. God. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to get to Yay. the idea of a tech billionaire in the future. Don't, don't you worry. Um, another thing that we were both like, huh, what? Uh, is that at one point they're like the kids are just kind of talking and they're talking about Mr. Wyndham or whatever. And one of the kids is like, I told him that I liked all the Turbo Master movies and he started doing all the voices and he does like this shitty like Arnold. And I was like, Turbo Master, bad Arnold voice. Is this like a weird Turbo Man in joke? I'm just going to. Pretend that it is because I want it Dude, to be there. Everyone's got a bad Arnold voice, and most of the time they're just doing a like that guy from The Simpsons <laughs> yeah. or, or or something. Just the same way everyone's got a bad Trump voice at this point. Yeah, fucking shit's passe. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 2049. Like, I don't, I don't think Arnold will be around then. <laughs> no, they'll do the Futurama thing. He'll be a frozen head. You know, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Um. So like, th- that's kind of funny. Uh. We also had this moment when Xenon does do her uh unregulated spacewalk, <laughs> where Harmony just goes, "What if this turned into gravity? What if she just got lost in space? She <laughs> what just if drifted she... away?" And like, Dad makes that comment. He's like, "What if your tether came undone?" Like, and she's like, "Well, it didn't." And he's like. Yeah, but what if that would have been terrible? And it's yeah. like, yeah, she would have been so fucked. I mean, I also love that in terms of like her spacesuit, which mostly looks good. She has this visor that she can lower like like a motorcycle helmet. And I'm like, that is the least airtight thing I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, you need to have the Buzz Lightyear helmet, though. Like, that's just that's just what you need. Well, I mean, I'm not complaining about it because it's funny and it's like a kid's movie. But I'm just like, I'm like oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be like the running man. Her face is going to explode. <laughs> oh no, that's total recall, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is total yeah, recall. I was it was like you're you'll catch I'll get it. there. <laughs> oh, and another one that we were like, this is like a weird pop culture reference is when <laughs> Xenon is on Earth and she's in swim class and they're like, You can swim, right? And she's like, uh duh. And they throw her in the water and she cannot swim. And finally Greg is like, You said you could swim, and she goes, Yeah, in space. And he goes, well, welcome to Earth. Welcome and, to Earth. And you and I both were like, oh, okay, that's clearly Independence Day. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's specifically an Independence thing. Because, but it's impossible to disassociate that line from Independence oh, Day. Oh, I mean, it was like the trailer shot. Come on. Yeah. But but I, I, I think it feels like appropriate teen speak where they just say things about like, welcome to the real world and shit like that. Where I'm like, this mm-hmm. feels appropriate. Yeah. No, it totally fits the character. But it's like, this is a space movie and somebody says, welcome to Earth. My brain goes to Will Smith immediately movie at the time uh, I mean it is they she's underst- grounded BJ she's grounded but they are in a world where they know people live in space I know but it's not a space movie at the time it's always a space movie it's never not a space movie Earth is always in space <laughs> spaceship Earth we're all traveling through at a billion miles an hour <laughs> uh, so something though that Xenon does get extremely wrong is that in 2049 um, rock bands still exist oh yeah and I really love that like Protozoa and them, they they don't really play their instruments. <laughs> no, Microbe does not play their instruments at all. That that is purely for show. Yeah, um, he likes to pose with the bass because basses are cool. But the thing we were cracking up about is we were like, 
trying to make sense of Microbe as a band is really difficult because they're like members of the band where it's like, okay, this guy clearly is like the boy band lead. This guy clearly looks like he's auditioning for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But then they perform as if they're like kind of an 80s hair metal band. But then Protozoa as a front man also has like kind of a Ricky Martin thing going on. Like there's so many things He's happening. giving off like Mick Jagger or at least like a Russell Brand impersonation of Mick Jagger. Yeah, but then he also has like the very 90s like kind of like Cisco like silver hair. Oh, honey, he's not Cisco. He's the guy from Crazy Town. Yeah, a little bit. It's he, like it's he's like a, a pretty version there. of of Shifty Switch Shellshock. God. <laughs> Yeah, there's just, like, so much going on. But then also, you know, he has an accent and no one else in his band does. He's so rock and roll. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. He's he's there. He's he's in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, they have one song. They have two. It's one. But it's mostly one. But what a song it is. Yeah. Uh, Supernova Girl rips. Sorry, it does. It fucking rips. And there are some people like, this song's really cheesy. And I'm like. Yeah. It's a boy it's a band. Boy band. It's a pop rock song. It's going to be cheesy. I need you to understand that in the 90s, what we thought the future was going to sound like was Blue Dabu D. <laughs> but you're right, though. Like, that's that's true. And also, like, it's it just it's a fun song. It's catchy. It's a it's total bop. There's a reason that when people put this on, they know all the words of it still because it is an earworm. Yeah, we. I mean, we love onomatopoeia for a mm-hmm. hook. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Zoom, zoom, zooming. My heart go boom, boom. My supernova girl. Boom, boom, boom. I want you in my room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So easy. <laughs> I'm the scat man. We loved this shit during that era. I love that shit now. Mbop. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. Who do? Who gives a fuck about words in the '90s? We're here to have a good time. <laughs> Lyricism? <laughs> Leave that in the singer-songwriter era. So like, like it's wrong in the sense that we don't really have bands anymore. Like obviously we have indie bands. We recommend bands every single week on this show. But in terms of like who's dominating the radio, not bands. I mean, there's approximation of th- there's fake bands. Like how Maroon Five is a band, or Maroon Panic at the Disco a, was a band. Those are vehicles for lead singers. Yeah, like but they're, they're bi- people can't see, but I like I feel like it's coming through in my voice that there are quotes around those titles. <laughs> No, you're you're totally right. So the fact that this is like a rock band in space, it's like, mm, I mean, that doesn't exist anymore because tech will ruin the music industry and you're like change it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, tech ruins a whole lot of things. Do you want to finally talk about our villain? Fucking Wyndham. So the thing that is really fascinating to look at is what we viewed as like a 1999 version of a future tech evil billionaire Mm -hmm. and we get that in Wyndham who is 
he's got kind of like this vague air about him of like he talks a little bit more heightened than everybody else. He dresses in nice suits. He but he can talk teeth. about really cool stuff that kids like. But he can t- he can relate to the teens. That makes him very cool. He has a handler who goes like, "What's hot with the children today?" <laughs> uh, Lutz is always wearing his like very vibrant suits, mm-hmm. whereas Wyndham is always in a black suit because he's in charge. That's how you know he means business. That's how you know that's, he's the bad guy. That's how you know he's, he's the bad guy. He's the only one who wears black in the movie. Yeah. Um, And it's just really fascinating to see because it's like, oh, we thought that they were still going to be these kind of like stuffy business types, like these Gordon Gecko types, when in reality, um, they're all fucking dorks and losers. They're dorks who wear tight black t-shirts. They all wear tight black t-shirts or like the ugliest jacket. They're relatable because they don't wear suits. They were the ugliest jacket you've ever seen in your life. They have no sense of humor. They're not charming. Because that's the thing is like, as much as I know, obviously, Wyndham is super inky and we do not like him and Lutz is terrible and you don't want to tango with him. Like all things that I know, but I get why people would get fooled by Mm -hmm. these guys. Like you hear Wyndham talk and it's like, oh, I get this. You are, you're very charismatic. You say what people want to hear. I get this. Of course, a teenager is going to be the one that's going to be like, "Mm, I smell bullshit on you because that's how teenagers exist. Well, everyone's also kissing his ass because they want his money. Exactly. I love that he's like, I'm going to donate $500 million. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of money. But then when you realize like it costs like $2 billion just to put a rocket into space. Mm -hmm. And this is like 50 years in the future with inflation. It's like, that's like nothing. Yeah. For something like this, that is, that is piddly. Well, it also <laughs> kind of, like we ended up having a conversation about this where like, I feel like as a kid though, if somebody was like, here, you can have this single $100 bill or you can have this stack of 51s, my brain would be like, well, I want the stack. What weighs more, a ton of feathers or a ton of rocks? Right, right. Like, it would very much be that kind of mentality. So when he's like, $500 million, and everyone's like, oh, hell yeah. Because I think people would be like, whoa, $500 million, that's so much. I don't even know if children were able to, like, contextualize billions at the time. Like, we had- Most adults can't contextualize billions. Well, certainly in the 90s. Like, I think we had, like, fake things like kajillions. Right. We we made up shit like that where it's just like it means a lot, but like in its relation to like a million when you're a small child, you're like, mm. yeah. How, what's more? What's less? A billion? Is that more than a million? I don't know. A bajillion. I don't think I thought about that at all. Right. So like it is such like an arbitrary number and everyone's really hype about it, but I'm like, that's that's nothing. Like that does yeah. not help them at all. But you know, that sounded like a lot because also in the nineties, the concept of like how many billionaires we would have now. Um, I think that was beyond our comprehension. It was like we had like, Too many. We had like Warren Buffett and like maybe Bill Gates at the time. And it was like, okay, cool. We have billionaires. Now we have so fucking many of them. And they're all the biggest fucking dweebs in the entire world, which is why, like, again, I get why people got sucked into the allure of Wyndham. But then, like, I look at something like Elon Musk and it's like, why do you listen to this guy? He's such a loser. Mm -hmm. Like, even if he was smart and had good takes on things and had his head on right, which he fucking doesn't, he's still a fucking dweeb and I would make fun of him anyway. But, like, he's a dweeb and he's problematic and he's a fucking racist piece of shit. Fuck him. (laughs) Like, no, don't listen to this guy. I don't know, man. Like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Elon because we all have to suffer through being like him being the main character of the world. Yeah. And he like forces us to live in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like this is what Elon's hoping to achieve. And it's he's it's so not feasible. 
I I imagine Wyndham probably has a very similar thing where he thinks he's like this savvy business tech genius when really he just hires people to do the work for him. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's really what it is. Like CEOs don't do stuff. They're not in charge of things. They don't know how to run things. They, they're unnecessary. Well, and that's even they're justified. They're like the gallbladder. <laughs> but they think they're the most important thing. Well, like, and it's even justified in the text of this movie because before his visit, all of the parents are like, we need to prove to him why this research is important. If he doesn't know why this research is important, he's a fucking dum-dum. Like, yeah. they shouldn't have to justify their existence to this man, but that proves he doesn't know shit about shit. Well, I mean, I don't really know, like, what kind of tangible results you can expect to get from whatever they're working on up there, like in the short term, in the long term, obviously it'll have benefits for humanity. It's like, just, it's just, spa- it's just space science. They're just, doing, sh- sh- I know they're doing space science. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Are they curing cancer? Like, I don't know I think what that's they're up what, to. Like one of the things is like, they're working with like curing doing something diseases. with rats. Yeah. They're doing I, rats something. that are floating around in jars. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like, surely when you build a space station like this, you have to know, Oh, this is like, a money pit, mm-hmm. right? At, le- at least in like the the the, the short term, mm-hmm. because like that's how all tech works. That's what their whole move fast and break things mentality is. Mm-hmm. But man, I cannot imagine you were gonna make that much money by bombing it into the earth. Yeah. Okay. So yes, let's talk about these stakes here because as a kid, yeah, we haven't even done that really. Yet. <laughs> like as a kid, I knew that it was like, oh no, the space station is in trouble. But I don't think I could, like, actually wrap my head around that Wyndham was going to make the space station fall to the ground and kill everyone on it and possibly kill, you know, a random part of the Earth if it were to fall and, you know, make contact with Earth. It would basically turn into a giant asteroid. Like, Bye, Dallas. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Wherever it just happens to hit. Oh, no. Right. And, like, he was going to, like, get an insurance claim about it or something. And it's, like, what the fuck? Like, I there's been plenty of, like, horrible, evil billionaires Man, in this world. In the future, when insurance companies will pay out a kajillion dollars to a billionaire <laughs> with the presumably the only space station, be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I took out a deal with the only people who can cover it. Right. But, like, here's, like, here's the thing. I was, like, really sitting there, and it's, like, okay, there have been so many, like, evil billionaires throughout film history between, like, Bond movies and action thrillers and what have you. Like, there are so many evil billionaires. Yeah. Wyndham, like, fortunately, he obviously doesn't get away with it. But that plan is insane. Like, we're killing hundreds of people. Yeah. Like, and and possibly, like, causing permanent destruction to the earth. What? For insurance money? Yeah. You fucking suck, my guy. This is just an early lesson in children. Like, don't commit insurance fraud. <laughs> don't commit insurance fraud. Don't trust billionaires. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it boils down to is don't trust billionaires. They're not your friend. No. They They want to be your friend. Be like, oh, we're a family. We're chill. Like, I, I know about whatever your equivalent of RoboCop is. Yeah. <laughs> but like, no, don't be friends with billionaires. You will never be a billionaire. They will kill you if it's profitable. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, it's just one of those things where we're just sitting there. It's like, I've watched this movie so many times. And I you know just what the never stakes really, are. But you never I never processed like... <laughs> the stakes of it. No, it's always just been like, oh, it's in trouble. Oh, no, things are bad. And never like, oh, my God. Like, there's a moment where they're talking about like, oh, there's like. 20 seconds left or whatever and it's like any last uh any last plans like we we got one more thing up our sleeve what do you want to do or like when they're talking about like we need to refuel like we we got to do this thing and it's like 
if we don't get this done now, none of us are going to be going home. And it's like, fuck, that's bleak. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really intense. It's, it's, it's funny to know that they built this with, like, the same philosophy as the Titanic, which is, like, who needs escape pods? Uh-huh. You know, it'll never crash. Why do we need escape pods? And Why so- do we need lifeboats? They get in the way. <laughs> and so one of the things, though, that I like about these stakes being so high is that it does also contextualize Xenon's behavior on Earth in a way that I, as a kid, definitely couldn't process, where, like, Xenon's the new girl in school, and Margie is trying to be the prototypical mean girl of, like, look at your fashion, what kind of name is Xenon, I'm a bitch because I can be a bitch. Also, like, like her name is Xenon, but, like, that's the name she chooses to go by, right? Like, she had a different name, didn't she? No, like, so they... I think the idea is that like they got the name wrong because they called her Radon. It's like actually it's Xenon. I think maybe it's Xenon Radon Car. I don't know the oh. exacts the, the specificities. Part of me thinks that it's like somebody like saying the name wrong the way that you would like Aaron to Aaron. Oh, and like that's the joke. Um, Aaron. Yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe that's the joke. Like those are pretty wildly different names. It's just like a one element. I just thought she was like, no, my name's Radon, but I go by Xenon. I I don't know. But also, like, her parents named her Xenon when she was on Earth. Mm -hmm. When she's like, there's normal name people like Judy. (laughs) 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 Look, you were going to get your child made fun of if she she didn't make it up to that space station. I don't know. I feel like there's got to be at least, like, one person out there that's definitely named Xenon, probably because of this movie. Oh, I'm sure. Um, because, you know, that's like a cool, quirky, unique name. Um, but Margie is trying so hard to turn this into like, you're the new girl and I'm a bitch. Fuck off. Margie is such a bitch. Margie is such a bitch. Like, and not, Margie, not, no, not justifiably in any way. Like, she's just jealous and mean. Yeah. And Margie does become a more central figure in the films moving forward. Um, oh. Yeah. The whole second movie is very much a Xenon versus Margie kind of movie. But... uh Margie is trying so hard to turn this into like teen like teen movie problems where like her getting bullied and being a fucking asshole is like the the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to her. But Xenon is so like headstrong of She's like fixed on her mission. Kim, people are dying. Yeah, like it very much is that sort of mentality where Xenon's like, my entire space station is gonna die. I do not have any time to waste being even remotely upset about you bullying me. I don't give a shit, Margie. Keep running your mouth. I have things to do. Uh, and like, and I kind of love that because you don't ever see that in teen movies where a lot of times like somebody's being a bully and the reason they keep bullying is because like they're affecting you. Like it sounds like really shitty parenting advice, but it's like, don't let them know it upsets you and they'll stop. Well, this is an example of that actually working because she does eventually kind of give up and she's like, whatever yeah and then it becomes more and more pathetic because it's like hey greg you want to go in my dad's hover limo and he's like no i have something to do and she's like you never had other things to do before she got here and he's like no okay (laughs) i want to talk about greg and it's very convenient she went to a school where there happened to be two kids who are hackers <laughs> who can just bust into things like I'm in the mainframe. Like they can just pull out like our really 90s interpretation of hacking. Um, I'm also a big fan of in the 90s when we just decided that if you're going to have a computer virus, you need to have a silly little graphic for it. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Like it needs to be some shit like that. 
Because I imagine, like, I don't know, like, we, we grew up in a time where, like, kids learned basic programming because of, like, MySpace. And in the future, you would assume that they know how to, to do that. But as we can see in our current times, a whole lot of kids don't know how to troubleshoot things or know how the inner working of tech works. So maybe mm -hmm. not. These kids have a vested interest in it. And honestly, knowing how much in our current times... A lot of websites and companies have not updated like the security or the internal structures of their tech, and it's just really easy to get in there. Mm -hmm. I'm not shocked that they are just able to just that they're able to like backdoor their way in. Yeah. Or the fact that um they're big, like, ooh, future tech sort of like virus that we're putting to take down the entire space station is typing a code in wingdings. Oh, God, it is wingdings. <laughs> it's like wingdings or webdings. It's one of those two. I've heard both. Yeah. But it's just like watching it type it in, and I was like, dude, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Why is there an owl here? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, why is this a choice? Like, I'm not even sure. Like, what is, I'm sure there's a reason for it, and someone could give me the answer. What is the fucking point of webdings? Well, the point of it, one, is just so that you have symbols, but also because people can't read it. Like, it then becomes something you have to decipher, where if you send somebody an email in webdings, they have to then put it in Word doc, and then they have to highlight it and, and turn it into a different font. font. Yeah. So I think that was what the, the thought process was behind this, is like, Lutz is typing in the code or whatever, but it's a lot harder to remember like one, seven, five, nine, 12, whatever versus like square owl, Sphinx cat circle. I love that. Like in terms of font, this is their version of coding is like the password is password. And I wrote it in comic sans. <laughs> right. Like that, that's it's come on. Yeah. It's, it's very silly, but you know what? It's the nineties. It's an alien language. <laughs> it's an alien language. Yeah. I mean, they did use like that as an alien language. And I think another decom, I don't remember which one it was. Don't quote me on that, but I want to say this gets used a lot, but okay. you know, whatever it is, what it is. Hello, pal. I'm sure we're not on your list or anything, but uh, this is Xenon Carr. You know, the microbe contest winner. And uh, it's alpha vital that she speak to protozoa ASAP. Did you say Xenon Carr? That's me, all right. Guess you've heard of me, huh? Would you step out of the vehicle, please? I've got explicit instructions to detain you. You mean, like, take a prisoner? All I know is Mr. Wyndham is very anxious to get a hold of you. I'll bet he is. Sorry, Chief. Love to hang around, but got a rocket. So with the help of her new friends being expert hackers and understanding webdings, she gets back to the space station in time and she saves the day. And then because she's a good friend, she gifts her like dance with an adult man prize <laughs> to her best friend, Raven. Okay, so I love Nebula as a character. So Raven does not come back for the sequel. She does come back for the third one, which I like. Because she took the Robin Williams route, I see. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Um, but I love Nebula as a best friend character because she definitely has the same passion that Xenon does, but she's a little bit more cautious. But when push comes to shove, like she's she's willing to break into a memory bank. Oh, she's if she a ride or die. To. Yeah, she's a ride or die friend. She's crawling through stuff like. And but at the same time, she's also very understanding of like, I don't want to say like her place in the group, but like Xena's like, you're going to have to do this thing. And she's like, I'm not you. And I love friends that are like that of mm -hmm. like that are just very self-aware of like, what? no, 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 that's your thing. That's not my thing. Yeah. But she's willing to do it. And, you know, I also love that they they love each other so much because you see these little moments of like, hey, can I borrow this? Yes. Like. 
as they're having this Just big conversation, casual. it's very casual. Or like, you know, when Xenon shows her protozoa sculpture, because Xenon can make really good sculptures, Nebula's like, oh my God, all I did was write a, an essay about what dancing with protozoa would mean to me. And Xenon's like, yeah, but you're a totally lunarious writer, Neb. Like, mm -hmm. they are constantly gassing each other up throughout this movie, which I love very deeply because I think a lot of times when you have movies about a character like Xenon that is like such a strong willed like leadership type she's character the focus. she's the focus and the friends all feel like second bananas Nebula very much feels like like that is her girl they love each other they are a unit and Xenon could not have gotten home if it wasn't for Nebula and the other friends also working together like mm -hmm. this is very much like Yes, Xenon figured out the code, and yes, Xenon got the disc back, but they had to get her there, and that couldn't have happened without all of them. The and Dirty Dozen couldn't do it without all of them. I mean, yeah, and like, I like- <laughs> There's a sick Dirty Dozen <laughs> reference in a Xenon episode for you. And we I couldn't have done it without Jim Brown and Charles Bronson <laughs> and Donald Sutherland. <laughs> but I like that, you know, when Xenon is out of the space station, like- Nebula immediately is like, okay, well, there's a gap that needs filled, and I guess it's me. I got to step it up. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's good friendship. I, yeah, yeah I love them. I I'm love also, them. I'm not positive. I'd have to go back and double check it. But I think the outfit that she borrows from Xenon might be the one she wears when she actually does dance at the show. It is. Hey, yeah. She look borrows, at that. She borrows the, out, the purple outfit and then wears it at the end. That's cute. Yeah. I, I was think, like, I think, but I'm not positive. Mm -hmm. oh, I that's think nice. It's, I think it's very sweet how they do have the, these little moments that if you're paying attention, like there is continued storyline happening yeah. in the background that's the nice. whole movie. I love that. Which I really, really like. Um, I also love that, you know, Aunt Judy and Commander Plank have a little love connection. I think that's cute. Doesn't need to be there, but and, it is. And Judy likes chubby boys. And Judy does like her. chubby boys. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that they didn't think it was pertinent to tell anyone on Earth that they were in a catastrophic meltdown and were about to send like world famous celebrities up there to die. Yeah. Well, because they were trying to like fix it. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is a government cover-up. Well, uh, yes, that, that was exactly what Wyndham yeah. was trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously Xenon now has a cult following. Um, there have been multiple Disney Channel original movie podcasts. Uh, there's Zetus Lapidus the podcast, and then there's our buddy Zach Helsel's podcast, Zetus the podcast. Like, what Mother May I Sleep With Danger is to, like, Lifetime movies, Xenon is to DCOMs, and I think that that, like, I get why. So my question for you is, like, do you understand, like, why this became the DCOM? Like, can you see why it became the DCOM? I mean, it feels way more substantial than the other DCOMs of the era. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, look, there's a mummy. The boy's a mermaid. Mm -hmm. Like, it just... Merman. Merboy. <laughs> um, but I, I I mean, I get why certainly during its its era, it feels like the scope is larger and mm -hmm. it's more wide open and it's less like a self-contained thing. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you could have done a 13th year too, the 14th year, mm -hmm. but that would have cost a lot of money because now mm -hmm. he's underwater. Yeah, that's very so true. So like, uh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's just... There's there's more to the imagination when it comes to this one than a lot of other things that feel quite final. Mm -hmm. Like Smart House, when Smart House is done, it's like, oh, Smart House is done. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need a Smart House 2. Mm -hmm. You don't really need a, you know, don't look under the bed 2. Mm -hmm. 
But like that, I think you could get away with. You could, like, but you'd have to do like it'd be another kid. Exactly, yeah. it can't just be a continuation of the same thing. Yeah, we'd bring Larry back. Though, I mean, we duh. Of course, he's amazing. Um, like they did an under wraps remake thing. So they it's did, like, and it's actually kind of cute. Is the thing like I know a lot of people were really like, I can't believe they're remaking my childhood. Fucking grow up. It's fine. Like, yeah, it's cute. <laughs> but like that's a that's a remake. This there's a reason that Xenon got sequels. Yes. So like I understand that, but. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I certainly compared to so many other things that feel just like fairly teenage problems. Mm -hmm. I get it, and it's certainly. I think it. I think it doesn't uh, show its budget the same way that something like Halloween Town did, Mm -hmm. which also got sequels. Mm -hmm. You know, definitely. And the fact that Xenon has become, you know, kind of the decom is also a reflection of something we talk about all the time in the show. That's well, certainly the decom for people of a certain age. If you're, if you're a little bit younger, I think the decom might be, end up being a, a high school musical era decom. This okay, that's true, but just in in like the general sense of like the landscape in of the vast ethos and universe of decoms. Yes. But the fact that it is Xenon and not say the thirteenth year or The Luck of the Irish, or any number of the DCOMs that were vehicles for the Lawrence brothers. It's because girls determine what is popular. Xenon was Xenon before we had Lizzie McGuire, before we had Hannah Montana, before we had Wizards of Waverly Place, before we had all of these girl-fronted icons of the Disney Channel, Mm -hmm. it was Xenon. And there were good decoms that came before xenon there were good decoms that came after that were like the boy decoms like brink is one of my favorites of all of them but it is xenon like disney channel survives by its popularity with young girl audiences period it just does you the early decoms really tried to sell it on like boy heartthrobs that girls could watch Mm -hmm. and like you know you have your brink you have your johnny tsunami like look they're so radical they're so cool but then it was like they leaned way more into girl yes. stuff. Yes, you needed you needed a movie that was going to make the girls happy because even with something like High School Musical, which we've done High School Musical and High School Musical 2, and we've had conversations on both of those shows about how there is something a little bit insidious about those movies and that they are definitely playing into the idea that like teen girls want to fuck Zac Efron. I mean- <laughs> Like they don't know what it means yet, but they're feeling some kind of way about it. I mean, it. you kind of have that with Protozoic here, but like- Right, right. Man, people are still like that with Efron. People are so weird people with Efron. People are so weird and- People Listen. thirsting after like beefy Iron Claw Zac Efron he's in a movie so, that is not so supposed tragic. to be horny. Yes. He's so good in that fucking movie, though. He's so good. God, he's so great. Bless you, Efron. God, you're you're amazing. I hope you know that. Um, but that like that's very much a thing, though. Like the Disney Channel lives and dies by its appealing to girls. And if they can't thirst after Troy Bolton, they want to be Nebula or they want to be Xenon Carr. And that's why you see Greg at the end just staring through FaceTime like, hmm, I'm never going to see that girl again. Because mm-hmm. Greg doesn't really matter. <laughs> they do break up between this movie and uh, Xenon. The you sequel. don't say. Yeah, it's like a little thing they just kind of mentioned because Margie's there, but Greg is not. And it's because they broke up. It's and- like clearly a summer fling where it's like, yep, this will mean something to me now. But like. You're back on the space station yep. hanging out with rock stars and I'm here but, in Northern like, California is, or something. I love that because if this was like the more Hallmark approach, she'd be like, you know what? Earth is pretty rad. I'm staying on Earth with this boy. But instead, Xenon's like, nope, I'm going back to the space day. That's my home. Sorry about it, Greg. Bye. Yeah, and like she was born on Earth. Yeah. Like she doesn't. She like, remembers rain. She does. Yes, yeah, she does. And, but like she doesn't. 
this is just so much like new kid in school energy, but it's so not a thing we focus on because we barely spend any time in school because we've got yeah. more important shit to focus on. Yeah, we have on. more important stuff and she doesn't care. She doesn't yeah. want to be here. This is temporary. I don't fucking care. I know, that's how I feel about school too. <laughs> I don't want to be here. This is temporary. All righty. Xenon is asking you to the prom, Harmony. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? Listen, man, this movie is not bad at all. No, it's not. Like, saying, like, this is one of the worst movies I saw that year. You're wrong. You, you clearly haven't watched a lot enough bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like, now, will I revisit it because I'm a full adult? Probably not very often. I'm sure I'll come home and you'll be watching it, and then I'll go, oh, hey, it's the last 45 minutes of Xenon. All right. I am going to eventually make you watch uh, Xenon the Sequel Z3, though. That's oh. happening. Oh, no. Okay. That's happening. All right. I... You know what? We have a whole month dedicated for sequels, so you know we'll just file that away for now. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this a yes, but like not a yes that I'm probably gonna revisit very often because like it's it's good. Girl, young, young girls doing things and getting to like be in control of stuff despite the fact that nobody believes them about like catastrophic events. Like mm-hmm. they can save the world. It's like cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. And while and you know while we're on it before we do like our closing statements, I do want to say that Kirsten Storms, who plays Xenon in all three of the movies, um, and who is also like a big soap opera star in her in her adult life, um, she's been on General Hospital for like ever. Uh, she was recently replaced randomly for a couple of days. She's taking a quick leave of absence. There hasn't been any news about why, but this happened like the week we were watching this. So, um, you know, sending good vibes out there, whatever she's got going on. I hope I hope she's doing OK uh, because we love her and mm-hmm. I, I want nothing but the best for her. Mm hmm. But with all that said, thank you as always for listening to the show. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sounder Bombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. I am so excited about this. But what band are you recommending this week inspired by Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century? I am shouting out a uh, a musician by the name of Alex Andre because we need something that sounds like the future. And this is future by way of like kind of Jamiroquai. Hell yeah. Like the music is described as a uh, the, the music is self-described as a combination of emo, electronic and jazz. Um, and this like this is just really cool. Like there's I can see elements of like synthwave, elements of like neo soul, just like the sort of acid jazz vibes like. Alexandria does like really tight stuff. Um, no official album yet, but a lot of singles. Um, if you're interested in my favorite ones, I quite like We Could Be Cool, Buffering, Please Wait, and Thanks, My Day Is Ruined. <laughs> Thanks, My Day Is Ruined is, uh, that speaks to my soul. Yeah. I was playing a little <laughs> bit of this before uh, before we sat down to record for BJ because I think I'm going to try to do that more consistently so that you, she actually has something to say about that. But um, yeah, you liked this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. It was nice. Cool. Thank you for saying so much about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very fun. And like, I, I was washing my face as Harmony was playing it. So I was like worried about like, oh my God, I'm breaking up so bad. Oh my God, hormonal acne. Being 30 is fucking terrible. But every once in a while, I would just like kind of like dip my head and I was like, this is very nice sounding. And I like the way that it does have like a lot of electronic fun times. So yes, yeah. I did like it. Good. <laughs> so one more time for the folks at home. What is the band name? That is Alex Andre. Alex Andre. Beautiful. Alrighty, friends. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
coined the term O-ring. <laughs> so fully illegal. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.